Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. This week on One Hit Thunder, we're joined by Wolves of Glendale keyboardist and vocalist Tom McGovern to explore the enigmatic world of the Laws and their timeless hit, There She Goes. This episode is a tale of potential unfulfilled, as the Laws were seemingly destined for Britpop fame and fortune, only to be stymied by their own strange choices. Did the Laws bring the thunder despite getting in their own way time and time again? Stay tuned to find out. So Tom, welcome to the show. We are here today to talk about a band with a strange name, but before we even do that, we got to start this show with 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 a little round of good name bad name uh bad band name that is uh and matt has a list of some uh band names that we've covered on one hit thunder before to run by you and you're going purely on instinct here right pure hit me this and, is gonna be twitch reaction <laughs> yes and this is just to clarify for audiences his statements of if they're a good or bad band name does not indicate his opinion of the quality of said band just the naming of them that's correct mazzy star Bad band name. <laughs> Pretty Poison. That's a good band name. <laughs> Looking Glass. Looking Glass is a good band name. Fabulous Thunderbirds. Fabulous Thunderbirds is also a good band name because immediately I think of the color rainbow. <laughs> Local H. Local H? How do you spell H? Just is the letter H. Is it just H. the letter H? <laughs> That's a bad band name. It sounds like a fire firehouse. <laughs> Level 42. Level 42? Bad band name. Spandau Ballet. Spandau Ballet is a great band name. <laughs> the Primitive Radio Gods. The Primitive Radio Gods? Sounds like it's trying too hard. There's a bad band name. <laughs> was Not Was. Was? How do you spell Was? W-A-S. If it was a Z, it'd be a good band name, but W-A-S <laughs> is a bad band name. Uh, the Four Non Blondes. Four Non Blondes is a good band name. The Vines. The Vines is lazy. It's a bad band name. Question Mark and the Mysterions. <laughs> if you say it like this question mark and the mysterions it's a good band name but otherwise it's a bad band name and lastly the laws that's a uh, unfortunately based on what we're going to do today that's a bad band name <laughs> <laughs> so what drew you to pick there she goes by the laws so despite the fact that i don't think that the, the band is named very well and that it doesn't feel good to say in in my mouth 
I think that the hook is close to perfect. I think in terms of like just a bubblegum pop song that you can just kind of sit there. I mean, you can if you're listening to this, you can't see what I'm doing, but <laughs> this is the energy, just kind of bouncing in your chair and swaying back and forth. I think There She Goes just captures that energy more closely than any other song in the early 90s, in you my might, honest opinion. You might be in good company because mm -hmm. Noel Gallagher of Oasis said that it's the his favorite song from the 90s, even though it was released in 1988. And oh. uh, Ben from Death Cab for Cutie actually said, There She Goes is a perfect song. It defines the perfectly written pop song. It's an instantaneously recognizable melody and lyric set to a simple... Uh, economic musical structure it is such a simple song that it boggles the mind that someone hadn't already written it first i could not agree more with his analysis <laughs> like... i truly think it's like close to a perfect at least the chorus is close to a perfect pop rock hook uh the thing that blew my mind away and chris i'm sure you stumbled upon this in your research too i never once thought about this until i read that the song essentially has no verses. No. It's just a repetitive <laughs> chorus and a bridge. Yep. Four, <laughs> like, four choruses and a bridge. What more do you need? <laughs> yeah. And to get fancy, once they make the chorus minor once, and it's like, oh, what's going on? That's all, that's all you need to get, get that's a little all you fancy. Need. I yeah. was blown away at the amount of drama that surrounds this band, which, you know, <laughs> lends itself to being a favorite band of people like, oh, you know, members of Oasis and Morrissey. And I didn't realize that the laws were such a inspiration to the whole Britpop movement later in the nineties. I, I had no idea. I thought this was a song that was in rom-coms and, you know, was probably, you know, honestly, I thought the laws were a band more like, and I'm not, talking shit on any of these bands but more a band like delamitri or i don't know like uh, a a radio pop band and not so much of a drama filled brit pop band i i didn't i didn't really realize that i would love to dig into some of the drama if oh we have God. time i have no oh, idea what, that what, might what be is. most of the episode yeah that's honestly. gonna be the whole episode <laughs> okay. it's but, insane yeah. i mean we can cover a little bit of the early days. Uh, they formed in Liverpool uh, in 1983. And you might be thinking, Liverpool, the Beatles. Uh, well, even furthermore, they started as a skiffle band like the Beatles, uh, which is kind of a cool little comparison. Eventually, they were signed in 1987. They released three singles over the next three years before they released their debut. And as of 2023, only studio album, the self-titled The Laws. <laughs> yes. <That's> perfect. Yes. <laughs> like, that is awesome. And if you asked The Laws, I mean, especially the guy we're going to talk about a lot today, Lee Mavers, he would tell you, don't listen to it. He did not want it released. And a lot of people consider it a classic album, but... As far as he can is is he's concerned, it should not have ever even come out, and it should not exist. So yeah. wow, it's it's a pretty wild story behind this, and it's going to be a story where we're going to have a lot of discussions. I think of, I don't even think the discussion is is this guy mentally ill. I think that's kind of a fact, <laughs> as you know, from a lot of stuff I read, but. I just can't imagine being in a band with this guy. You know, I'm I'm sympathetic, but if I was playing in a band with this guy, I, I mean, I can't. I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I I can't stand the guy. I mean, it's almost funny to yeah. a point of like a spinal <laughs> yeah. tap sort of thing. All of the drama behind yeah. this guy, but oh my god, I can't imagine dealing with this guy. Whether you are a producer, a bandmate, he's had 26 different band members in this band. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's, he's the issue, obviously. Yeah, I think my, to him. Yes. I think my favorite thing was that throughout the whole history of the band, pretty much the only consistent members were Mavers, yes. the, the lead vocalist and guitarist, and their bass player, John Power. Mm -hmm. And the band pretty much ended when John Power quit the band. And the reason John Power quit the band was because <laughs> by the time they had gotten to 1992... He was reportedly sick of performing the same set list for over a decade because they had basically written this self-titled album in the 80s. And like John Mavers was so focused on perfecting Lee. these 
like 12, 13 songs that he wasn't even writing any new material. And John Power was just like, I've been playing this set list for a decade. Like, I'm bored. Like, I need to go. (laughs) He's essentially in a tribute band at that point. uh, (laughs) He's in a Laws tribute band that just happens to be the Laws. The Laws, (laughs) right. (laughs) Well, this is kind of getting to the end first, but since you went there, John Power, yeah, he was the bassist. He actually started writing some songs, and he got to be a pretty good songwriter, and they were performing a few of John's songs, uh, but Lee refused to sing backup on them. And John's like, what the hell? Why?" He's like, I sing backup on your songs. Why won't you sing backup on mine? And so they were performing a show in London and John noticed that Lee wasn't singing backup. So he changed one of the lyrics to the song to say something along the lines of, Lee, why aren't you singing backup vocals? And they stopped <laughs> the song and they got in each other's face on stage in front yeah. of the crowd and we're basically going to fight on stage. And that was that was one of the last performances ever of the laws. That's how it all ended. But that's a beautiful. real Oasis type situation. Oh, dude. That makes me think of, do you remember, to talk about Brit pop drama, do you remember when uh, Liam Gallagher was quote unquote too sick to perform? I think it was like an MTV Unplugged or it was some, it was some like televised unplugged performance and he was too sick to sing. So Noel Gallagher was like, well, I'll just do it. Like, I wrote most of these songs. I sing lead on a couple of them. Like, I'll just do the, like, we promised this gig. We'll do it. And Liam Gallagher sat in the balcony and loudly heckled him during the entire televised performance. Dude. (laughs) Brothers. I love it. (laughs) Where did this long history of Brit pop acts, where, where did this begin? It almost feels like a trope of that type yeah. of music. I, I doubt it even started with the Luz. And we're about to get into the Luz. And I don't yeah. know if you guys know all this stuff. I watched like a mini documentary about the Luz that kind of blew my <laughs> mind. I took a lot of notes. Uh, a lot of stuff I that you wouldn't wow. find on Wikipedia or just Googling that <laughs> I just can't believe. It's all it, it's seriously like like someone wrote this. It's like a spinal yeah. tap. It's like a it, it's just wild. Could what it go back highlights? to the Beatles? Like, I mean, you'd have to think yeah. that towards the end of the Beatles' career, they didn't have, like, on-stage freakouts because they weren't playing live. But, like, even watching... I mean, they seem pretty simpatico in those Get Back tapes that came out yeah. two years yeah. ago. But like, George used, was a little ornery, but for the most part, they seemed to be like decent by. enough. But yeah. you do hear the stories that, like, they were. it was very contentious in the studio towards the end of that career where they, like... You know, certain dudes would just show up and record their parts and just fuck off and leave. And like, like I guess that's kind of the earliest version I can think of of like a Brit pop band that just can't get along, but they're pushing forward anyway to the best of their ability. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a miracle that any band reaches any level of success, like symbiotically in a healthy way, in any context. Let alone, uh, you know, a band that has a meteoric rise like the Beatles or Oasis or or in this context with their first album and a couple hits, The Laws at that time, maybe. I think it's a miracle that anyone is able to work together in a healthy way. So I, I'm i excited to dig into exactly what I, weird shit happened. I here. mean, I've never... There's some stuff in here I've never heard of before. I could see personalities clashing and things like that, but this is like a whole other level. So listen, to make this album, which I listened to the album... It's pretty good. Like, I see why... I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, this song is great, no doubt. But the record label that they were on, I think I believe it's called, like, Go something. It's yeah, like, I think it was Go with an exclamation point. Right. <laughs> um, they ended up spending over... And I don't know what the equivalent of this is, and I know that inflation and, you know, the British pound or whatever, but they spent... I, I realize this is still a lot of money. They spent over a million pounds by the time this album came out because they kept recording and re-recording the album with different producers and Lee was never happy with it and would have these insane reasons as to why he wasn't happy with it. And it it's somewhere on the border of pretentiousness and insanity. Um, they were working with these great producers and they interviewed some of these guys. Like one, for example, John Leckie. Um, 
he said that Lee would talk in psycho babble and he would say things like playing. He'd wanted to play a certain guitar because he wanted to capture the sound of the tree that it was made from. And then he would <laughs> not want to use certain cables in the studio because of what color they were. He would say like, Oh no, I don't want to use that yellow cable. And constantly producer to producer, they would accuse the producer of not understanding the sound they were going for. And what I don't understand is like, okay, if the producer doesn't get your sound, fine. Mic up your instruments and play the songs on the instruments that you want to play them on. What is stopping you from doing that? And it was producer yeah. after producer after producer. They, he had a complaint. Lee had a complaint that the board that they were using to mix with one of these producers, I don't know if it was John Leckie or Mike Hedges, not that important. It might've even been Steve Lillywhite, who is the producer who the version that we actually know that's Steve Lillywhite version. But Lee was complaining that there was not enough of the original dust on the console to make the song sound authentic. Like there's <laughs> just insanity with this. Okay, it makes so me, it makes me think of, uh, and I think this only because I just finished watching this series. I keep thinking, as you're telling the story, I'm thinking of uh, the subplot in the series Parenthood where Dax Shepard and then like Tyson sign Ritter. that band. Yeah, Tyson Ritter from yeah. All American Rejects band, like Fall of Rome or whatever, where uh -huh. they're just like, he's just a total douchebag in the studio yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm in the studio with my band literally later today, and I will be using all of the things that Lee said <laughs> in terms the, of check the dust. Yeah. Make sure I it's wanna, the right wood. I, right. I want my my OB six to be made from the wood of a of an oak tree from Minnesota. And uh, if it's not dusty enough, I'm not tracking. Yeah. Hey, uh, I got something to take it even further. Do you guys think it can go further than that? If if you guys thought that was a lot. So, I mean, the dust is pretty damn far. Okay. So let's see. We're <laughs> yeah, this guy's a lunatic, but keep going. Oh, do you want to hear how much of a lunatic he is? So yeah. either the second or third version they did of the album before Steve Lillywhite, which we'll get to, was with a producer named Mike Hedges. So Mike Hedges recorded them and everybody, including Lee, was like, this is it. We finally got it. We got This is amazing. Everybody loved the recording and... The label was relieved because they dumped all this money into it. They're like, okay, this is it. So in the meantime, from the time they recorded it, John Power, his bassist, and Chris Chirac, who I think was the drummer at the time, went on vacation together and didn't invite Lee. He found out that they like went on a little trip without him. After that happened, Lee rejected the recording all out of spite and, and said that He's not going to, th this album isn't coming out. He's unhappy with the album. And it wasn't because of anything with how it sounded. It was because his bandmates went on vacation without him. <laughs> I, so here's, here's my thought. Um, <laughs> I, I'm the least musically tied person out of the three of us here. But like at a certain point, like you don't even, this band is like the least tried and tested band that you have. Right. Like you put out the single way out and like, yes, Morrissey loved it, but like nobody listened to it. Like it wasn't a hit. There mm -hmm. she goes was not a hit when it was released. Like no one cared about this song when it came out. So like at a certain point, why are you like, why are you as a record label? Not just saying like, fuck you, we're putting out the album. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, they like, were. OK, first of all, they were to use a poker term. They were pot committed at this time. Uh, you know, at this point, they're like. <laughs> We've yeah. already put so much money into this. I guess they really, obviously, really believed in the band. And to your point, Matt, they did eventually do that, which yeah. they did it now. We'll, we'll bring it to the Steve Lillywhite era. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with what Steve Lillywhite did, but he's a very famous British producer. He's credited with over 500 records, including... Big Country, Simple Minds, David Byrne, The Talking Heads, U2, The Rolling Stones, Peter Gabriel, Morrissey, in more recent years, The Killers, Counting Crows, Dave Matthews Band, ah. XTC, The Pogues. Like, he is... <laughs> okay. He's, yeah, a couple bands. Yeah. 
He's like one of the most famous di- producers ever. He's dabbled in some minor successes yes. in that yeah. uh, list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He messes around in Pro Tools. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> some really crazy stuff with this. So at this point, I think he's the fourth producer to try to record this same album. Uh, they started in December of 1989 with Steve Lillywhite. And somebody gave this producer like a thing they had whatever printed out or, or made a copy of called a producer's guide to dealing with Lee Mavers. Wow. <laughs> Someone else in the bands made this? Uh, no, I think it might have been somebody from the label made it. Yeah, the from label. the label. Yeah. There's so like this is just again, I I I feel like my level of tolerance if I was like a record label investing at a certain point at the Mike Hedges point, I would have been like, no, we're putting it out. We all agreed that it was great. It's going out. Like Yeah. 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 And but, then ugh. Lee found out about the fact that he was given this this document about him. Naturally. <laughs> and he was not happy, obviously. Uh yeah. It's just a lot. And once again, I'm not making light of it or making fun of it or whatever. I mean, in recent years, we've talked about this a lot with Kanye West and and people like this doesn't sound like, oh, band wildness, band beef between members. It sounds like really does sound like mental illness. Like a mentally. Yeah. Like a narcissist. Yeah. 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 I could see that. And and also. (laughs) I don't blame someone if they want to spend their whole life trying to perfect one album. That's your prerogative. But you have bandmates, you have a label, you have commitments, you have all these things. So he's kind of bringing everyone into the fold with him with all of this. And to me, when I listen to the album, which once again, I think it's good, but I also don't think it's like, Oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't feel that way about it either when I listen to it. No. Um, I mean, I would listen to it again, which is sometimes the biggest yeah. element of praise I can give any artist that we cover on this podcast. Yeah. Is, is that. But I mean, I agree with you. I'm not, this isn't going to show up on like, if I was doing, I don't agree with, say, uh, Rolling Stone, who named the band one of the greatest one album wonders of all time. I mean, well, I guess it depends on how many one album wonders there the are. Band. How many Out bands there. have done that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Like, I think this is one of those cases where like the song feeling, I really dug that. That was the follow up single after that. I thought this song's fun. Um, even the song I was talking about way out that like Morrissey loved. Like, I think mm-hmm. that there are good songs, but it's like you said, too. It's not earth shattering. And it's not like. It's not like they perfected some new sound, like, and that's not coming from, from like the lens of like I grew up listening to Blur and Oasis, so this seems like the same thing as Blur and Oasis. Like, it doesn't sound that much different than the other music that was coming out. Like, this sounds about the same as when we did Michael Penn. You know what I mean? And Michael Penn, I think, wrote a, well, I won't say he wrote a better song than There She Goes. I really like There She Goes. But Michael yeah. Penn wrote a lot of great songs and also seemed like a really nice guy at the end of the day. Yeah. I I mean, I'm and I'm not going to take anything away from There She Goes. Obviously, that's a song that stood the test of time. It's one of those songs that has actually, in my opinion, gotten bigger as time has gone on. You know, it's exactly. Yeah. yeah it's been well, used in so I've got many a quote. I got a great quote for you from that. Actually, one of their guitarists, John... Uh, John Byrne, is it? Uh, John Byrne said, when we recorded the song, I thought it was going to be big, like a lot bigger than it actually ended up being. But then I assumed that it would be immediately forgotten like so many other pop songs. In retrospect, I feel like the complete opposite happened, Mm -hmm. which is that nobody cared when it came out. And then over time, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I also feel like its use in TV and film was really what has kept it. That's really what kept it in the zeitgeist. Like even to this day, there are people, I guarantee you, 90%, maybe higher people that know There She Goes don't know what the name of the band is, no. but they yeah. know that song. It's like, oh, I love that song. I've heard that song in you know, Something About Mary or whatever movies it was right. in. Yeah. Like, it it I will was, always be used. Yeah. I was looking at the list of movies that it was featured in, trying to figure out where I probably heard it for the first time. Great. Where? I landed on either, it was in an episode of Adventures of Pete and Pete, and it was in So I Married an Axe Murderer with Mike, uh, uh, yeah. Mike Myers. Mike Myers. Uh, and Interesting. I, fe- 
I feel like it had to be So I Married an Axe Murder. I um, I think me too, man. Me too. Yeah. It was used. So the list that I got was it was used in The Parent Trap, Fever Pitch, Girl Interrupted, Snow Day, So I Married an Axe Murder, where they use the Laws version as well as a cover version by a band called the Boo Radleys. The Boo and Radleys, the shows, yeah. Yeah. And the show's mm. Adventures of Pete and Pete. And it's in the pilot episode of Gilmore Girls. Uh, and and then my favorite thing that I read was obviously we know because we've done a sixpence on the richer episode, uh, but they had a mm-hmm. minor follow up hit with their cover of it. Uh, the sixpence on the richer song was used in commercials about birth control pills. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> there she goes again. Yeah. There she goes again. Having there sex. There she goes again. Having unprotected Having sex. sex. <laughs> yep. Being irresponsible. I, yeah. I read that. I was like, who was the executive that was like, I have yeah, the perfect the song for this? <laughs> You're going to want to hear this song. It's going to change our brand. It's unbelievable. Whose idea? I think for me, it was definitely, and maybe I'm not proud to say this, definitely the parent trap where I heard it used for the first time. That was definitely it. You could be proud of that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. It's used a lot in Snow Day, too. It's played every time you see the love interest in the movie Snow Day. Dude, Snow Day. I forgot about Snow Day. I love Snow Day. Got to finish up the story here, and we'll get into the legacy. But, so they recorded the album with Steve Lillywhite, and they had, so basically when it was all said and done, Steve Lillywhite pieced it together into the album that it is, which a lot of people think is really great. And uh, and then the label was like, against the band's wishes, like, no, we're putting it out. You guys don't have any say in this. And they put it out. Critics really liked it. Uh, the album reached number 30 in the UK, but only reached 196 on the Billboard 200 here in the United States. And to date mm-hmm. has sold fewer than 50,000 copies in the United States. Well, because you could get it on all of those movie soundtracks, you know. I, I, which, I, which I gotta say, and I don't mean this as a brag. There's a there's a few of my own band's albums that have sold more copies than that. So, yeah, so, so, incredible. I mean, for a band that wrote, it, there she goes. You know, um, the band stopped touring and rehearsing in 1992. Did you guys read the stuff? And this this is such a trope too at this point because you'll hear it about everybody from. Radiohead to the 1975 now in recent years. But have you heard the stuff about people saying that this song is about heroin when it sounds like it's about a girl? No. So I did read about that. And my favorite thing was that the way that Lee Mavers confirmed that it wasn't about heroin (laughs) was by saying, (laughs) look, I tried heroin in 1990, but we wrote this song in 1987. So. Yeah, right. Great. Right. Yeah, he, he wasn't doing heroin until at least a year after. Uh, yeah, that was two years down the road. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah, Everybody knows I started doing heroin in 1990. Yeah, come on. Yeah. I'm not a heathen. Um, well, I guess the lyric, which this is kind of a stretch, but... The, the lyric that made people think that was, there she goes again, racing through my brain, pulsing through my vein. No one else can heal my pain, which, okay, you're mentioning a vein, healing pain. Yeah. yeah. Are you absolutely sure that it's not, she pulls my train? No, I'm pretty because sure. Because that, that to me is my favorite lyric in the entire song. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize she that. She pulls my train. <laughs> yeah yeah there's some there's a couple lines in here that i wouldn't say for for how great this song is there is the occasional lyric where i'm like pulls my train you really needed that fourth rhyme somewhere in there didn't you you needed a gain name train pain contain remain hey look he literally he went on he got a rhyme dictionary and just ran his finger down the page and said let's use it what's the easiest rhyme for this but you know to capture this genius we needed the right wood on the guitar, the right yeah, dust correct. on the mixing board. <laughs> we needed the right color cable, uh, and we needed four producers and like a million dollars to make this album. So yeah. I don't know. And actually, hey, now say- that you've said that, you've changed my mind. Lee's a genius. <laughs> yeah, actually, as a matter of fact, he's an idol of mine. So I'm going to buy a poster. I'm pretty sure that to this day, Lee Mavers still actively tells people, not to buy or listen to this album. And he's still working on it. And he's as living off the royalties this, of it, by the way. Mm-hmm. As big as this song is, technically, like we've talked about this, like is this even truly a hit in the Billboard sense? Because it peaked at 49 on the Hot 100, yeah. like just barely getting into the top mm. 50. 
Hey you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with factors, delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout, plus... Considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. Gentlemen, we all know first impressions matter. And if you're not taking care of your skin, that's going to be the first thing someone notices and instantly either thinks you're way older than you are or just don't care about your appearance. Show them you do and make a great first impression with Caldera Lab. Personally, I really try to take care of my skin. I'm crazy about moisturizing and I'm always careful about the sun. And, you know, I'm a middle-aged guy. I got to take care of the skin that I have. And honestly, we all do. You're obviously going to brush your teeth every morning and night. So incorporating a little bit of skincare into that routine will really pay off, which is why I love Caldera Lab. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup, a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. The skincare world seems to be heavily female-driven, and it's really been the Wild West for men for years that's why they've made the solution simple. It's three products. The Clean Slate, which is a face wash to start and end your day. The Base Layer, which is a daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin. And The Good, which is a go-to multifunctional serum that helps your skin look tighter and smoother. They also have the Icon Eye Serum, which addresses the three most common skin concerns around the eye. Fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness. I've been using these products lately and I gotta say that I feel super good about my skin and feeling super good about my skin just makes me feel more confident in general. One minute in the morning and at night is all it takes to reduce your wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. Clinical trials have found that 94% of men's skin showed an overall younger looking appearance after using Caldera Lab for a few weeks. So maybe now's the time to give it a try. We have an exclusive offer for One Hit Thunder listeners. This is the best offer available anywhere. Use the code OneHitThunder at CalderaLab.com and get 20% off right now. Get 20% off with the code OneHitThunder at CalderaLab.com and make unforgettable first impressions that lead to the charming words, you look younger. That's 20% off at CalderaLab.com with the code OneHitThunder. You'll be glad you did. It peaked on August 31st, 1991 smashed in between Rush Rush by Paul Abdul mm. and Don't Want to Be a Fool by Luther Vandross. Okay. Uh, to, to, get an, to get an idea of what that week was looking like, the top five that week was The Promise of a New Day by Paul Abdul, mm. Wind of Change by Scorpions at four, It Ain't Over Till It's Over by Lenny Kravitz Ooh. at three, Fading yeah. Like a Flower by Roxette, and the number one song in America was Brian Adams' Everything I Do, I Do It For You. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that was that was a real Paula Abdul era. That Rush Rush yeah. music video. <laughs> Rush Rush was the music video with Keanu Reeves in it. Um, 
but it but it was not the it was not the music video with a dancing cartoon cat and no. thus six year old Matt Kelly could care less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Opposites <laughs> attract, baby. MC yeah, Scat I needed cat. MC, I have MC Scat Cat's only album. He wow. did not appear on Rolling Stone's list of greatest one album wonders. <laughs> but, that's, a, but, that's an American <laughs> sin. <laughs> but you were talking about the legacy of the song. I mean, Rolling Stone, while they did put on the one album Wonders, they also named it the 13th best one-hit wonder of all time. Great. And I love when this happens. Uh, NME Magazine put it as the 35th in the 50 greatest indie rock anthems of all time, but then also named it the 22nd greatest song of all time, which is just a mathematically confusing thing for me. How is it ranked lower on this more specific list? (laughs) Yeah. That's strange. Hey, I got to tell you now, one more cool thing now. Now, we're doing everything out of order, I feel like, because we already talked about the almost fight on stage in front of the crowd between John Power and Lee Mavers. But I got to tell you what happened Mm -hmm. after that. Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) So, like I said, John Power became like a pretty good songwriter at that point. And you can watch interviews of them where you kind of want to punch yourself in the face while you're watching it. Like there's this, this woman interviewing them. And it's one of the first things that come up when you search for the laws and they are just over the top pretentious and all their answers to her. I feel like they're trying to make her feel stupid with every answer to, you know, every Mm -hmm. answer they give to her questions. I guess John powers, maybe a a little more normal, obviously than Lee Maver, Lee Mavers. But um, so shortly after that, they played on David Letterman, which you can watch that on YouTube too, but it's just John and Lee. And then it's the, you know, Paul Schaefer in the band or the rest of the band playing it. And uh, it's cool, but it's just, it's just those two guys. Shortly after that performance on Letterman, John left the band. He'd had enough. And um, he went on, John went on to form a band that was very popular in the UK called Cast. Cast, yeah. And you can watch them perform on, I watched them on Jules Holland and they played a song called Guiding Star, and it was good. I actually liked it better than most of what I heard from uh, <laughs> from the Laws. But what's crazy about that is that the band is called Cast. Well, the last line on the last song of the Laws album is this line that's repeated over and over, and it says, the change is cast. Is what is the line that's reported that's repeated over and over, and then John Powers starts a band called Cast, and then interesting, and then their first single, which is called All Right. When you read the lyrics, they're very obviously about Lee Mavers, so uh, <laughs> pretty crazy. And I think that I, Cast went I on. Love now, not no Cast song, I think, has lived on the way that There She Goes has, but I think Cast had way more success as a band because they weren't. <laughs> you know uh they were a band they, yeah they, they could actually yeah. like do stuff shows. <laughs> yeah a functional <laughs> band of adults yes right um so after that john's in cast but lee continues the laws for a little while you know like i said he went through like 25 other band members and all the band members at some point were like we can't do this anymore he was trying like he was trying to get his bandmates to tune to feedback and to tune to the hum of the refrigerator. And then he just didn't have a band anymore. And like I said, uh, it's been said that he's been living ever since off of the royalties of There She Goes. Uh, played a yeah. few shows here and there at certain things. But uh, kind of sounds like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Is the guy just uh, just an asshole and a pretentious artist? Or is he have some other stuff going on. I don't really know. I don't want to make any assumptions on that. I feel like that'd be really mean to make, you know, just because someone is a crazy artist doesn't mean that they are necessarily crazy. I, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I, I, did, I couldn't find any. Uh, I'm just going off one, of what I've read about him. One last quick comparison uh, cast to the laws, uh, just because I became curious when you were talking about them they in the uk they never had a crossover international hit in the uk they had seven top 10 hits wow. <laughs> throughout their career their really? band lasted is still around the band is still actively touring as of 2023 and they have had 
half as many band member changes as the Laws did. And all of the band changes were in the first year that he was forming the band. Wow. Like, it was like in 92 to 93, there was like some switch up. But since 93 until 2015, when the bassist retired, it was the exact same lineup from 1993 to 2015. Well, that's good. Any... Yeah. So that, that says John that, that Power is, is clearly a much easier person yeah. <laughs> to work with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a little uh, bit of Lee Mavers, when you watch early interviews, they really, especially John Power, looked like a kid. Like he really looked yeah. like a kid in these interviews. And I think some Lee was rubbing off on him because he definitely sounds really like full of himself too in these interviews and stuff. Yeah. But I think that maybe he may have uh, seen seen the, seen the light a little bit after being in a band with Lee for so long. Yeah. After Lee starts suggesting that you tune to the, the yeah. hum of a refrigerator, yes. I would yeah. also be like, maybe I shouldn't be right. associated with this person. John, right. John was 24 when he left the loss. Yeah. He was so just yeah, he was definitely he was he was a, a child. Uh-huh. Now we come to the most exciting part of the podcast, obviously, <laughs> where we try to determine the laws. Did they bring the one hit thunder or was their whole career a one hit blunder? We'll start with you, Tom. What where would you in in the two options that are presented before you, blunder or thunder, what are you what are you given the laws? I mean, based on uh, I, I'm torn because now that we've gone through the history and the problematic decision making that Lee put the band through, I want to say that their career as a whole was a blunder because it sounds absolutely insane, for lack of a better term, the things that uh, the hoops that he made the entire band jump through. I think that maybe based on their songwriting ability from the first album, they could have made a career out of it. And so in that context i think it's a blunder however <laughs> i stand by what i said earlier in the sense that i think there she goes is just a it's like just a close to a perfect little pop rock song so the song itself carries a lot of thunder there's a whole freaking rainstorm in there so I, I don't know their career is i don't know if this answer even counts the law's career is a blunder the song is it carries a lot of one hit thunder yeah in it I, I'm in a similar boat. I would say that Lee, as a human, I, seems a bit of a blunder. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'm going to give Thunder to A, like you said. A, a song that just, despite having almost no presence on the U.S. charts, has continued to be such a massively... Like, you could walk into any bar in the United States and there will be a band that covers There She Goes For somewhere sure. in their set. Really? Uh, <laughs> I think so. I would I like think to so. go to that bar. <laughs> you know there's um a a good amount of songs that were pretty good on this album uh and i think that the fact that the album even got released and existed at all is a thunder in itself because there's another version of this story in another world where we just never got to hear this band because the label just got fed up and let it sit on a shelf and just said whatever this is a bad investment we're not even going to release it so Mm -hmm. i'm going to give them a gentle a gentle thunder on my gentle thunder (laughs) Um, a light rainstorm. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say in the truest sense of the word blunder, <laughs> this was, I've never seen a band and more specifically an artist assuming they wanted to have a successful music career. That's what, that's an assumption I'm making. I believe that there are artists in the world who make art for the sake of ma- making art, and whether one person listens to it or watches it or looks at it or or millions do, it's just th- there are certain people like that. Most people, a majority of people make art m- make they want a lot of people to enjoy it. You know, if you're mm-hmm. in a band, you want to have hit songs, most people. So I'm going to assume that Lee Mavers deep down wanted to have hits. If that assumption is true, I've never seen anyone drop the ball so hard. You had everything going for you. You had a label, (laughs) you had a label that was willing to invest literally like a million pounds into your recording. You had a little bit of, I mean, more than a little bit of buzz. You had the gatekeepers of the world. You had, you had Morrissey of all people, like, you know, yep. one of the most pretentious people ever. You had, you had 
a lot going for you. All you had to do was make the album and release it. And then you could have continued making albums. It is like probably the biggest blunder I've ever heard of by an artist. It, it was just self. That's very, that's fair. Self-imposed blunder. But the music is pretty thunderous. Like, Yep. This song especially, and I would love to know the name of this bar where people, where Matt sees people covering this song because I want to go. I want to see people play this song. And I, I this is this is a really tough call because I I would have to say just based on the fact that Lee blundered it so bad that it's a blunder. Like, and not based yeah. on the songwriting or the music or anything, just pure artist error <laughs> like mm-hmm. you he had to try so hard to mess this up it, it was it was all set up for him he was they're ready to go they're ready to become you know what oasis became you know they were ready to yeah. become what blur is you know what i mean i i don't i don't know like i'd say blunder i don't know yeah that's my that's my call I on just, this one for for anyone who cares i just did a whole lot of quick conversion math in oh, wow. <laughs> in google a million pounds in 1990 is the equivalent of they invested $3,698,000 into a single album. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's just... That uh, hurts my heart. <laughs> it's just like a simple Generic rock, rock band. It's not like they have like <laughs> yeah. a, an orchestra and a choir and uh, yeah, you this know, isn't like a Queen sounds. album. <laughs> yeah. Like you guys were saying, also making music that was being made by other bands at the time, stylistically. <laughs> they weren't groundbreaking anything. Like, guys, what's, what, yeah, what blows my mind is like, it sounds to me like what they wanted was like a raw, real sounding, authentic 60s just do a live album recording <laughs> get get a few cool mics and get a nice room and you could have done this album for i don't know 10 grand 20 grand yeah. I, I don't know like yeah. i don't understand i'm so confused the rest it's yeah. insane well we're talking a lot about music and at this point in time we have tom over here who you may know from tiktok you might know from his instagram presence but what you should know him for is his band Wolves of Glendale, which leaves on a tour October 15th. But Tom, tell us a little bit about Wolves of Glendale, this this good band name, bad band name thing that has like suddenly just been inescapable on my TikTok uh, for you page. And this tour that's coming up, there's a lot happening in a very quick succession there. Yeah, a lot going on. Uh, I'm really excited. I moved to LA in October 2021 in... Um with the hopes of finding a comedy band to play with and wolves of glendale we are a comedy band we're a comedy trio so if you're a fan of uh tenacious d flight of the concords bo burnham anyone in that vein weird al we were talking about weird al briefly before we started recording those are the heroes we are um walking the path paved by all of those people but we're having a we're having a blast we're going on the road with jukebox the ghost who are not a comedy band they're a, a piano pop rock trio and they are killing we're yeah. doing a run of shows with them called Hollow Queen, where we will play a set, Wolves of Glendale. Jukebox will come on, play their originals. Wolves of Glendale comes back on to run a costume contest based on people in the crowd that show up dressed in Halloween costumes. And then Jukebox comes back out dressed as Queen, and they do a 40-minute Queen cover set. Wow. So it's going to be a blast. And Wolves of Glendale, we've just been having a blast. We we started a year and a half ago. We had the chance to open for Tenacious D on New Year's Eve in Las Vegas this past year, nice. which is a dream come true. We have a handful of music videos on YouTube if you want to check it out. And we're dropping our full-length album at the end of January with a show at the Troubadour, which we're nice. really excited about. Dude, so, congratulations. Yeah, great. That's, Thanks, man. Yeah, that's so much awesome stuff. <laughs> thanks it's been great the response has been really cool we're on a mission to kind of redefine expectations for musical comedy i feel like a lot of people even at these shows that we play around la so many people after our set they'll come up to us and they'll be like we saw there was going to be musical comedy and we we're like oh god <laughs> this is going to be cringy i am not i'm not into it and then they're like that rocked that was like the music is good the jokes are good way better than i thought we're excited to check you guys again so i'm really lucky it's been really fun so far that's great, man. Hey, and, yeah. and Tom, before you go, this is I, I I'm I have to ask you this. 
So I've had this discussion with my band. I've been in the same band for 26 years. Our yeah. band name is Punchline. Yeah. Good band name, bad band name. I'm going to tell you to your face right now that Punchline is a good yes! band name for t- <laughs> for, t- for two reasons. It's First of all, I think I'm a fan of, if I'm doing like just an instinct reaction to why, if it's a two-syllable band name uh-huh. with some sort of like, for lack of a better, I don't mean to like hit it on the head, a punchy right. consonant at the top of it, Punchline. Uh, I don't know, Bad Fish, I think is a good band name. It's generally to me that just sits well in my ear uh-huh. and also punchline i don't know if it's like a comedy thing or if it's something physical like a punch uh-huh. in the face line i don't know i think it's a good band name it- so please tell your bandmates and tremendous uh congratulations to all of you guys for being around and playing music and writing music for that long that's yeah. awesome yeah it's, it's a long time and it's funny because it's like the band name we came up with in high school and first of all we laugh about it like we got this name like how did someone not have this like common thing how did someone not have that already and yeah but then i go we i i go back and forth on it but then we came to the consensus like no it's cool it's a two-syllable thing that like we we got and it like fits us and whatever i but you made me feel really good in saying it's a good band name so cool and guess what (laughs) if anyone disagrees i don't give a toot you don't give a toot it does not matter yeah yeah (laughs) yeah hell yeah well hey thanks for coming on man this is really fun Oh, thanks, guys. This is great. I, I'm truly, I'm about to go see my band right now. I'm going to tell them about the history of this band and some of the insane <laughs> stuff that happened. So thank you for educating me. Thank you for having me on. You guys yeah. rule. Uh, I can't yeah. wait to uh, kick it again. One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Christopher Valius of the band Punchline and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Telephone Pole off their album Thrilled. Be sure to check out Punch Lion for any upcoming news about the band. Our podcast is on Patreon now. Find us at patreon.com backslash OHT podcast for early access to episodes, bonus episodes, and a chance to vote for future episodes for us to cover. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on any podcasting app. And tune in next week. So red on the front lawn, so I can tell it's been out. I questioned all the guests over top of Kanye West. I had to know just who you were. I put your picture on a telephone pole. If you have any information, please call. I put your picture on a telephone pole. listening to the Geekscape Network. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.